I have a couple things to say before we read our passage this morning. Um, first, I want us to say thank you to the church. Uh, Maggie had her surgery 10-ish days ago, uh, her kidney donation surgery, and you guys have been super supportive and prayerful, and uh, you've brought food, and that, it's just so helpful. <laughs> so thank you very much, and uh, keep her in prayer, please, um, and uh, yeah, just continue to love her and support her as you can. She's doing a lot better, and um, yeah, but if you could keep praying for her, that'd be really good. A couple other things. Um, uh, Romelia Williams is one of our founding members, and Romelia has, as of like a week ago, officially been called as the senior pastor of Ninth Hour Covenant Church. Now, this is how good God is. Our denomination is all over the country. I mean, it's, uh, they're in Sweden. You know, they're in, the, they're, in, they're in the Congo. So she could have been called anywhere. And she got called to One North Ogden, which is like <laughs> seven miles away from here. So we're all super thankful about that. Um, in your bulletin, there's some information about her installation service, which is the 10th of September, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd love a good new community presence to be there for that. I think Pastor Michelle is preaching your service. Uh, so it's going to be a really, really good celebration. We want to be there. And then really cool, uh, Romelia is going to actually be back with us on the 24th of this month preaching here, and she's going to bring her church with her. Uh, so we'll get to worship together. So God is really, really, really good in lots of different ways. So, uh, And then lastly, I just need to acknowledge my professor, Dr. Pierre, is here today. And so I feel a lot of pressure right now. <laughs> She's literally one of the most gifted speakers I've ever uh, experienced. So if I'm nervous, that's, it's not just because I haven't preached in five weeks. It's because you know, she's If you could turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Today is the last sermon in our Fruits of the Spirit sermon series. We'll be looking at self-control. I'm going to read uh, verses 13 and 14 of Galatians chapter 5, and then I'm going to jump ahead to verses 22 and 23. Uh, Once you've found that, if you're able, would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of God. Holy Spirit, be our teacher today, we ask humbly. Be our interpreter. Make this uh, word active, living, uh, relevant, powerful in whichever ways we need to experience it today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Self-control is uh, a word that is actually only found four times in the New Testament. Uh, The concept of self-control and discipline is, you know, it's it's somewhat regular, um, but it's not a major theme of the scriptures, actually. Uh, which maybe to some of us is a little strange because uh, some of us think about 
religion or Christian faith more specifically as mostly about controlling our behaviors or controlling our desires, right? Like, in order to keep God happy or to make God happy, I need to not do uh, certain things. Uh, often, there's some list of spectacular sins that are especially important to be avoided. And so we can think about self-control in this kind of way. But this is, um, this is not what we actually find in the scriptures. Uh, self-control is actually a concept that doesn't come up uh, all that often. And it's important to begin, I think, this because I'm really good about making everything about me. I am amazing about making everything about me. I'm amazing at taking even the Bible and making it about me. How does this impact me? What can I get out of this? But here's the thing. The Bible is not my story. The Bible is God's story. Now, God's story has uh, endless implications for my life and your life. Amen? But ultimately, you and I are not the starting point of this story, right? So at the beginning of this sermon about self-control, it's important for us to remember that this is not our story, that this is God's story. And despite our tendencies to make things about us, uh, our job is to keep coming back to the reality that our starting point is always uh, with God. So we keep that in mind, right? It's not about me that this is God's story. Self-control, it's not all that common of a theme in the, in the New Testament. Keeping that in mind, it can seem a little bit odd that Paul chooses to end his uh, very famous list of fruits of the spirits with self-control. Right? Like, why end with the focus on self? Why would Paul choose to, to end this list with something that is so, self, uh, so self-focused? Repeatedly throughout the sermon series, you've been reminded by some amazing preachers, by the way, Romelia, Pastor Michelle, Juan, Kalia. Am I forgetting anybody? Uh, God has given us an embarrassment of riches when it comes to preachers. But you've been reminded, we've been reminded that the fruits of the Spirit are gifts that the Spirit gives to us. It's not about what I can do, how hard I can work. It's about what the Holy Spirit uh, does in us. And yet here Paul ends this list with self-control, a focus on ourselves. The logic, though, I think starts to get a little bit more clear when we start where we started this morning in verse 13, where Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Can you say free? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. In other words, Christ has set you free. You were in sin. You were uh, enslaved by idols and ideologies. But now, Paul says, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've been set free. You are free people. He goes on to say, so use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. In other words, there's a purpose to your freedom. There's a point to your freedom. I'd say that as Americans, we, we are generally formed to think that our, our freedom is mostly about our own happiness. Right? It's, it's written into our founding documents. But Paul says your freedom has a purpose, and that purpose is to serve one another in love. Your freedom is to serve one another in in love. And this is not arbitrary. This is not Paul saying, God rescued you 
Christ freed you in order for you to be a nice person. Right? Paul's not saying the point of Jesus' death and resurrection is that you're just a, kind of a nicer person than you used to be. Paul actually says in this passage that the entire law in verse 14 is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is important and is going to sort of set the framework for how we think about self-control. When we hear that word law, some of us think about God's Old Testament law as a kind of arbitrary list that his people, that God's people were required to keep in order to stay on God's good side, right? Here's what it takes in order to stay in the club, in the family. But in fact, the the Old Testament law, the Hebrew law, was not a list of religious rules, but was an expression of God's covenant relationship. Key important difference. Law, not a list of rules to keep in order to stay in, but an expression of an already existing relationship with God. People who are in covenant relationship with God live a certain kind of way as expressed by the Old Testament law. Keeping God's law was evidence of participating in covenant relationship with God. And Paul, following Jesus, says that the entire law, the entire Old Testament law, the entire expression of God's covenant relationship can be summarized by keeping one command. What's the command? Hey, we're listening. That's great. Okay. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says the entire law, and it's a long law, the entire law, the entire expression of being in relationship with God can be summed up in the command, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a a logic here, and I want to make sure that you get this. Paul says, Paul gives us this kind of beautiful description of, of, of the gospel, of our new life in Christ. He says, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we have been freed to serve each other in love as the expression of our covenant relationship with God. Do you see the, do you see the flow? Yeah, this is... Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been freed to serve each other in love as an expression of our covenant relationship with God. You get it? I need to do one more time? I need to do one more time, Romelia? One more time, she said, Okay. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been free to serve each other in love as an expression of our relationship with God. Yeah? Third time's a charm. Okay. So this is the logic that Paul begins our passage with today. And again, for us to understand what he means by self-control, we need to understand this. Paul says, this is the freedom that's been accomplished for you. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But Paul is also very realistic. He knows that despite the freedom we have in Christ, you and I remain relatively selfish individuals. Raise your hand if you are selfish. All right? So that's, a, that's still a thing, right? That exists. And so Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, Paul's using the word flesh in a very specific kind of way to talk about kind of worldly desires that lead us away from God, that make us feel good but lead us away from God. Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather than being propelled into loving our neighbors, you and I are still tempted to utilize our freedom in Christ for self-indulgence. And when we do, when we lean towards self-indulgence, our gospel witness is compromised because we're no longer expressing God's covenant relationship by loving our neighbors. 
We've turned from loving our neighbors to self-indulgence. Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. This is why self-control is so important. This is why I think that Paul includes it as the final of the Spirit's fruits in our lives. This is is so important. Without self-control, you and I are liable to take the amazing freedom that we have experienced through Jesus and to use that freedom to indulge ourselves. The Spirit's gift of self-control steps in at this critical juncture so that rather than turning into ourselves and away from the world, we instead open ourselves up to our neighbors and we serve one another. We serve our neighbors in love. Self-control is the gift that keeps us from using our freedom in Christ to indulge ourselves, to turn away from the world, and instead to open ourselves up to the world and serve our neighbors in love. Are you with me? This is why self-control is so important. I'm also assuming that's a little bit counterintuitive, at least it is to me. There's a common misunderstanding about self-control, similar to how we misunderstand uh, the Old Testament law which is this, I need self-control, I need to control certain bad behaviors in order to maintain God's acceptance. Maybe most of us wouldn't say like, oh yeah, I totally believe that to be true. Right? Hopefully we preach the grace of Jesus enough here, the gospel of Jesus enough, that when I say that, I need to, to have self-control in order to be acceptable to God, that when you hear that, you're like, no, I know that's not true, but could I ask Like, what's your experience when you sin? What's your experience when you do something that you know you don't actually want to do? What's your experience when you intentionally turn away from God and choose something different? What's your experience in that moment? And for many of us, it's this sense that I need to do something in order to gain God's acceptance, in order to gain God's love, in order to gain God's forgiveness. So for many of us, self-control is mostly about controlling certain behaviors, bad behaviors, in order to maintain God's acceptance. If I mess up, then God will disapprove of me. But this is wrong. God's vision is so much bigger and so much better. Your entire self has been set free through Christ's death and his resurrection. And so your entire self is now available to love your neighbors. You don't just have a certain part of you that's available to love others. Your entire self has been set free in order to love and to serve your neighbors. Maybe we could could say it this way. Your life is God's way of obtaining somebody else's freedom. Your life is God's way of obtaining someone else's freedom. This, I hope, changes how we think about self-control. Because if our goal is simply to control our behavior in order to placate God, then we're going to just do enough. Just walk right up to that line, right? So, one of the conversations you're going to have regularly with your people is, Pastor, how far can I go 
Pastor, how much is too much? Pastor, I did this thing and I'm not quite sure. Did I go over the line? It's a deep instinct in all of us. If our goal is simply to control our behavior in order to placate God, then we're always going to just do enough. We're always going to be negotiating where that line is. Can I ask, what if God's interests are much greater than just our behaviors? What if God is interested in the salvation and the redemption of the entire universe? What if Jesus came not simply to patch up your life, but to rescue the world? What if the goal of the Christian life is not to avoid a few spectacular sins, but to give our entire lives over to God's freedom project in this world. You see, how self-control is manifest in my life and in your life is of great importance because your life is how God's freedom advances in our city. Your life is how God's freedom advances in this city. And so if you have taken your freedom in Christ, and mostly utilized it for your own self-indulgence, you are hindering God's freedom from moving forward in our city. Because the way God's freedom is advanced in our world is through you. It's through us. Pastor Michelle was praying and she said, as, as if Jesus were here in the flesh. Jesus is here in the flesh and it's us, it's the body of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's freedom advances through you. So if you've taken that freedom and used it mostly for self-indulgence, that advancing freedom gets held up. Are you with me? You are God's chosen vehicle for his freedom to advance in our city and in our world. This matters. So, I'm going to end with this. Your, your actions matter as it relates to self-control. Uh, your words matter. And your thoughts and emotions matter. So I want to get as practical as I can in the next just five minutes, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. As we think about self-control as God's way of advancing freedom in our world, your actions really matter. How you live, what you do with your time, your resources, your body, your home, your vehicle, all of this stuff really matters. Your actions really matter. So, Maggie donated her kidney. And that's great. And and it provokes a very interesting response in most people, which is something along the lines of, uh, what, uh, what, what? Oh. And then after that, oh my gosh, that's just so awesome, that's just so amazing, and you're a, no lie, you're a hero, and you're just, you know, and she is, like, for sure, absolutely, right? But the interesting thing for me has been to watch how she talks about this, how my wife, who I love, talks about giving away a, 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 her kidney. And this is what she generally says. She says, well, I knew somebody who needed one, and I had an extra one, so it just kind of made sense to give the kidney away. That's literally like her 
deep spiritual explanation. But I actually think it's a deep spiritual explanation. I think it's almost as though Maggie has rewritten Paul's verse here. And she, it's like she, she, she put it in her own words. You, my brothers and sisters, were given an extra kidney. But do not use your extra kidney to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love by giving it away. Basic. What you do with your actions, whether you choose your freedom to indulge the flesh or through the Spirit's gift of self-control, love your neighbor sacrificially, your actions matter in how God's freedom advances in our city, on your block, in your school, in our neighborhoods. Okay? Your words matter. You and I can be incredibly careless with our words. It's as though we forget the power of what comes out of our mouths. We are so quick to gossip. We belittle, we tear down, we traffic in sarcasm and cynicism. Why? Why do we do this? My guess is that 90% of the negative things that come out of our mouths come out of our mouths because of self-indulgence. That we speak negative things because it, we kind of like how it feels. Because we get that little hit when we release, release that little juicy thing of gossip, right? Or we feel a little better of ourselves if I can say something that pushes someone down just a little bit. But your words are meant to be a conduit of God's freedom. Have you super blunt? Your negativity isn't cute. Your regular sarcasm is not sophisticated. Your spiritualized Christiany gossip isn't helping anybody. Your cynicism, which you somehow think to be some subversive expression of a critique about the false optimism of manifest destiny or something, it's just cynicism. What you say matters. Your words have the potential to speak life and freedom and salvation into the heads and the hearts of people who are genuinely in despair. You are never speaking to someone for whom life has not taken a great toll. You are never speaking to someone who has made it through this life unscathed. Your words always land on the ears of thirsty, wounded, I can't believe I even got out of bed, people. Every single time you talk. The Spirit's gift of self-control allows you to trade cheap and callous language for words of freedom. So do me a favor. Speak freedom into somebody's life this week. Speak life and truth and beauty and hope and potential into somebody's mind this week. Use your words to serve someone's deep needs with love. Amen? Finally, your thoughts and your emotions matter. 
The freedom that has been won for us by Jesus Christ is not limited to what is visible in your life, like your words and your action. Your entire self has been saved and redeemed. Every thought and every emotion is contained by God's freedom for you. Here's our operational belief. God saved this part of me, and I'm thankful for it, but the rest of this stuff is just going to have to be what it is. But God's freedom is for all of you. God did not save a part of you. God saved all of you. God did not redeem a portion of your past. God redeemed all of your past. Somebody should say amen right now. This is important because you and I, in this life, in this world, in this city, during this time, You and I can become deeply accustomed to an interior life that has been deeply malformed and malnourished by our world. And so we can come to accept the implicit racial bias that is in the air that we breathe every day, especially the anti-black racism that is the common currency of this country. We tolerate the deeply laid assumptions about white supremacy that provide the logic for everything from how we fund education to who has access to wealth to preventable disease. We accept as normal the sexism and misogyny that this current president embodies, but that, if we are honest, runs through almost all of the entertainment that we willfully consume on a daily basis. We stop noticing the ways that our consumer culture instills greed, lust, envy, and gluttony into the very DNA of our emotional lives. We've made peace with a low-level despair and depression that comes with constant connectivity and technologically mediated relationships. And on and on it goes. We easily become accustomed to an interior life that has been deeply malnourished by our world. But church, this is not the abundant life that Jesus promised you. These are not the life-giving streams of living water that are meant to bubble up within our deepest selves. This is what God desires for us. The freedom that we've been promised should be experienced at the deepest levels of our hearts and our minds, our emotions and our thoughts. This freedom is for you. It's for all of you all of who you are, and the Holy Spirit desires to bear the fruit of self-control in your life so that even your deepest thoughts and emotions are conformed to the joyful, loving, sacrificial image of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus chose the cross even when the temptation was strong to turn away. Jesus chose the cross with its suffering and our our humiliation. He chose it for our freedom. When we think about self-control, we are not to think about keeping certain rules in order to maintain God's favor. When we think about self-control, we are to think about Jesus before the cross. Jesus choosing the way of the cross for our salvation, for our freedom. Jesus choosing the way of the cross out of sacrificial love. Self-control, not the small behavior-modifying kind, but the expansive love-of-neighbor kind that we've talked about this morning. Self-control is the way of Jesus, and it's the way of the cross. Self-control is the way of freedom. 
the fruit of self-control makes your life God's way of obtaining someone else's freedom. Your life is God's way of obtaining someone else's freedom. Self-control is what allows you and I to participate in that freedom mission in our world. Amen? Amen. So God, thank you for this word. Continue to give us an expansive imagination for self-control. Not as something that we grit our teeth and try to do better in order to please you. It's a beautiful gift of your Holy Spirit so that we can join you in the work of freedom that you are doing in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.